Morning Church, Kenny and Siswa Kumara here. Today we're going to be reading from 2 Kings 4, verse 1 to 7. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a little oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full... She said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go, sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Good morning, Parkhurst, and and welcome to church again. It's my privilege to be with you and to delve into God's Word. Thank you to Siswe for, for reading this little story for us uh, that we find in the Old Testament. It's a wonderful story that I'm hoping today is going to bring great encouragement to us and some direction to help us uh, build up our faith and sort of this theme of maintaining our faith in a broken world. But before we start, let's, let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that we live in a world that we're not apart from you, that you are, you are caring and you're concerned and you're involved, that nothing is happening in the world this year that, that is outside of your knowledge, that is outside of your power, and that you are sovereignly working all these things in, in sovereign ways, in supernatural ways that we might not be aware of, but that we could trust you. And I pray that the Spirit this morning would just build our faith, We'll build our trust in you and that we would find ourselves being lifted and renewed. Our hope and joy would be uh, growing and that we would just rest again this morning. We, we, we pray for your Holy Spirit who would come and encourage us afresh today. Amen. So we, we, we looked at the story in, in 2 Kings with this prophet Elisha and this interaction between the prophet and this nameless widow. And I want to lift a few principles out of this narrative for us this morning that will help us in our faith. Uh, This year has truly been unique. It's unprecedented, I would say, for almost everybody in their life experience. There's been nothing like this before. And it's ongoing. This ongoing reality uh, that is outworking in the world has an effect of wearing us down. I don't think anyone could say they haven't felt at some point being worn down a bit by all the things that are happening in the world at the moment. And I suspect for, for many that your faith has been tested. And for some, your faith might have been thriving and growing. But I think a common trend is for many people in the testing of their faith, it, it might be being eroded or you might feel yourself drifting off or drifting away purely because of the circumstances of life, like the daily experiences that you are confronted with having a powerful ability to work on you and they, they eat at your faith. They could destroy your faith. And along with it, you might be feeling your peace or, or hope or joy being disturbed. And, and you might be left 
wondering what the heck is going on. This disturbed or confused about the world or surprised and asking like, where is God? Like, what is God doing? And there, there is this faith crisis that maybe we might be having is, where is God in all of this? And this underlying thinking like, but this is, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Like many of us, for us, this belief, like the world shouldn't work like this. And, and, and you're confused and your faith is being tested by these realities and it might be eroding. So what I want to do is I want to reorient us this morning with the right perspective. And this right perspective will hopefully strengthen our faith. It will renew our hope and our joy again that we can continue to live and grow in these difficult circumstances. So perspective with its resultant expectations are powerful things. And C.S. Lewis illustrates this for us. He says they're the most important things because they shape the way we see and respond to everything. And C.S. Lewis says, that, suppose I bring you to a room and I tell you behind that door is a most beautiful honeymoon suite. And you go inside and you have a look around and when you come out you sort of like, well, it's a bit of a dump. And C.S. Lewis says, okay, maybe I'll take you to the same room again. But before you go inside, I'll tell you behind that door is that room is a prison cell. And you go in and have a look a second time, and when you come out, you're like, wow, that room's not so bad. That's actually quite nice. And everything is different. Why? It's simply your perspective. And your resultant expectations are different. You see, your, your perspective is filtering all that you see and all that you experience. And here's the thing for many of us. We've entered this year with the perspective that life should be lived in a honeymoon suite and we're surprised and we're shocked that it looks more like a prison cell. And if that's your perspective, I'm not surprised that six months in, your faith might be challenged, your faith might be dissipating and being eroded, your joy and your hope cannot be found and you're left wondering, where is God and questioning Him? So how then can we live? How can we maintain our faith in this world today? We need to develop the right perspectives. And this story is, I'm hopefully going to draw out for us three big buckets of perspective. It's not going to answer all your questions. There's not enough detail and time to try and resolve everything. But I want to lay down for us three big buckets of perspective that will build your faith. That will encourage you and strengthen you and lift you up and motivate you to experience again joy and hope in a difficult world. So the first bucket is, is the perspective of reality in verse 1. And we, we, we know this inherently. Like in your life you have circumstances. In this year you've experienced troubles. There will be difficult times. There will be heartache and there will be pain. It could be emotional, it could be physical, it could be financial, it could be relational. Uh, there's things that are within our control, there are things that are outside of our control. There are things that we do and things that are done to us that we have these experiences that are difficult and painful and hurtful. And when we look at the widow, we're going to see this principle at work. In verse 1, she has troubles and they're very, very serious. Let's read verse 1. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, 
Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my boys as his slave. Firstly, we see in her life there's despair. It says she cries out. This is the picture of a, of, of a woman whose heart is broken. It's full of despair. To cry out, the word means to shriek. So she's not just calling out to Elijah. She's screaming. She's shrieking. She is consumed with despair and with grief. Her heart is broken. How many of us could identify this morning that we have a heart that is shrieking? That we're at, we're at a space where there's despair. There is grief in our hearts. This is not far removed from our reality. We could identify with a heart that shrieks, maybe. Secondly, we see in her life, why was she full of grief? There's death. She tells Elisha, she says, your servant, my husband, is dead. She suffered the loss of her husband. This is her, her closest companion. This is her friend, her, her lover, her protector, the one who provides for the family. And now he's gone. He's dead. And she's full of grief. Again this morning, how many of you could identify with the loss of a friend, a family member? Or the loss of something, a loss of employment, a loss of opportunity, a loss of relationship. There is there's something real about this, that, that this isn't just a story, that we can identify with this reality, that there is this loss and there is death, as she's experiencing in her life. And then we see there is, there is death, there is a financial crisis. Because she, she says to Elisha, but now his creditor is coming. She's got no source of income. She's unable to pay any debts the family may have or that they've built up with ongoing monthly expenses. Uh, the assumption here, she's probably sold all her possessions because Elisha says to her, he says, what do you have in your house? And she says, I have absolutely nothing. I have nothing left. She's probably been selling all her possessions to pay these debts and now she's facing financial ruin and, and the creditor is coming and the Jewish law allowed for a creditor in payment of debt he could take family members he could take the sons as slaves in payment to work off that debt so the only thing of value she has left are her children and they could be taken from her she's facing financial ruin and the loss of her sons and this is definitely not far removed from many people's realities loss of income loss of business facing ruin can you see the reality of the world that she lives in and experiencing compared to the... It's the same. We have this reality and she has problems and they're serious. So her heart is full of grief and it's broken. She has deep loss. Uh, she's facing financial ruin and there is impending different threats upon her family. And this year you may have experienced or are currently experiencing many of these same realities these troubles and these stresses. This is the reality of life. This is a perspective of reality. And if you take a step back for a moment and just look at the world this morning and you look at all the different things that are happening, you cannot conclude that this is a world that's at peace. You have to conclude that this is a world that is broken. This is a world that is suffering. This is a world that is afflicted and struggling 
And the Bible, Paul articulates us for this in Romans chapter 8, 18 verses 3 to 26. This is how he describes the creation. He says, creation is in birth pains, groaning, longing to be delivered. He says, the world is crying out in birth pains. It's afflicted, it's in pain, and it's looking to be liberated from its present suffering. This is the reality of creation. And Paul continues in Romans chapter 5. He says this, that, that sin enters the world, and when sin enters the world, death is entered, and it's destructive, that this pervasive presence of sin and the destructiveness of death that it brings is eroding and breaking down creation. And that's the reality of creation. It includes me, and it includes you, and we are not exempt from this reality. And that's this foundational key principle of to maintaining your faith in a broken world, you have to begin to develop the correct perspective of reality, a biblical perspective. And it's along these lines that we see with the widow, what we see in the world in our observation, and what we see in the scriptures, is that we live in a broken world and bad things will happen to you. Tim Keller is most helpful on this point in his sermon on Romans 8.28 about living with joy in the midst of suffering. And this is the famous uh, promise box verse that everyone goes to that God is working for the good in all things for those who love him. And this is what he says, your, your joy will be impervious if you hold on to these three principles. So he unpacks some principles. Bad things will happen to you. We shouldn't be shocked or surprised when bad things happen. One of the main reasons a lot of Christians are continually overthrown is not simply because bad things happen to them. At least half of their discouragement and despondency is due to their surprise. It's due to their surprise at the bad things that happen to them. Do you see the distinction? 50% of the reason we get so despondent is that we're shocked. We're shocked. And we say, this isn't how it's supposed to be. We may even say life should be better. But that's not what the promise is, referring to Romans 8.28. Or we may say this, we love God. Therefore, surely we will have more good circumstances. But that's not the promise either. And until you understand what the promise is, you're going to be continually shocked and even overthrown. Overthrown in your faith, that's what he's saying. And in, in the context of Romans 8.28, what Tim Keller is saying is, God doesn't promise you better life circumstances. He promises you a better life in its totality in the midst of your circumstances. And those circumstances will come. And we're continually shocked. We're continually surprised. And we get overturned. We get overthrown in our faith. And now that we know this, if we go back to verse 1, you will see right there, there's the shockedness. There's the surprise in the widow's response and in her voice. Verse 1. My husband is dead. And then she says it. And you know he revered the Lord. He loved God. He obeyed God. He worshipped God. He was, in, he was in the company of the prophets. That we were an obedient family. That we were faithful and we followed you. You can almost hear her voice, the shock and the surprise. He says, this should not be happening to us. He revered the Lord. How can this happen? And that's what Tim Keller is making. That's the point that he's trying to get to. 
Most often Christians are derailed in their faith. We become disappointed in God. We become disillusioned with God. We become angry with God due to shock and surprise that bad things happen to us. And this is the perspective of reality that we see here and we need to grapple with is no one is exempt. We all sin and we're all exposed to the sin of others and the outworking of sin in the world. So the principal point here in maintaining faith in a broken world that you can live with joy and with hope and with peace is the correct perspective of reality. And, we, and, and if you don't, what happens is when you're faced with the realities of this world, your faith can be destroyed and overturned and you begin to become disillusioned with God. We conclude. What do we conclude? You see this all the time. We conclude that God isn't good. You can easily conclude that God doesn't care, that God is distant, that God is powerless to stop the evil in the world. God is unable to intervene in my life, into my circumstance, to deliver me from what's going on. And we know that simply isn't true, but the realities close in on us and with the wrong perspective of reality, it can easily become the wrong perspective of who God is. So the first point is we need to understand this, that bad things happen. They are real and we experience them and they are painful. No one is exempt from these real life experiences. But none of this distract, distracts from the perspective and the reality of who God is. None of this distracts from who God is and what he does and what he has done. In the midst of all these struggles, we need to develop this perspective of reality. That this is the world. And then we need to quickly move to, to hold on to the true and right and proper perspective of who God is. And that's the second bucket. The perspective of God. You see, as I said, is that if we don't have the right perspective of, uh, of, of reality, we could look at this widow, we could look at the world today, we could look at our own experiences, and we conclude that God doesn't care. God is not involved. God is powerless. That God isn't good. But if we pause for a moment and we go back into the text here, what we see is in verse 2, we're going to develop a right and true perspective of God. In response to her verse 1 of explaining her situation and her shrieking, this is what Elisha says. How can I help you? That's the response of somebody who cares. That's the response of somebody who is concerned. You see, his response, he's not aloof or indifferent to her plight. Um, he's, he's not a defeatist in the sense that he's looked at reality and what has happened and he said he throws his hands up in the air and he says, well, there's not much I can do. Let's let fate run its course here. No. This is the response of someone who cares. And there's some wonderful things that we can see here that demonstrates this tenderness and this care. The first one is that Elisha ignores the law. And this shows us he cares. You see, he could have brushed her off and allowed the law to run its course. The, the creditor, in terms of the Jewish law in Leviticus 25, that he was permitted to come and take the sons to pay off the debt. And that was common in their culture. And, and, and there was nothing wrong with that. 
And he inquires of her now. He says, not only does he say to her, how can I help you? He follows it up immediately with this question. He says, tell me, what do you have in your house? So not only is he concerned, but he is moved. He's moved with compassion. He wants to get involved and help her and to see how he could resolve these issues that she's facing. This is the response of someone who's caring and someone who's moved to compassion. And this is what's happening. Elisha is being used by God. That through Elisha, God is wanting to reveal to us and show his tenderness and care for those who are faithful to him. Did you hear that again? What God is doing is he's demonstrating through the prophet Elisha that he, he is tender and caring to those who are faithful to him. You see, if you take a step back outside of the story, and we have that privilege of perspective, that this is the first miracle in four consecutive miracles in the next two chapters that God has put together for us in the scriptures. And God in these four miracles is demonstrating through the prophet his tenderness and care. You see, we most often look at prophets in the Old Testament as the ones who proclaim judgment and God executes judgment through the prophet. And rightly so. We, we see throughout the Old Testament this holy and righteous God who judges the wicked and the sinful. But we forget the other aspects of God. And we have these four miracles, starting with this one, that God is working to reveal through the prophet his tenderness and care for those who are faithful to him, to those who love him, to those who serve him. And this is a true and right perspective of God. That as we look here, we see the character of God that he cares. That God is concerned and he knows about your life and he wants to and he does get involved. And this fact that Elisha, Elisha ignores the law is this revelation of God to us of his care and his concern. The second thing that emphasizes for us this right perspective of God is this wonderful picture that Elisha deals with kings. You see, there is this contrast in the immediate chapter, chapter 3. As chapter 3 ends, Elisha has been dealing with kings. He's got involved with the king of Israel, with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, who've come together to go wage war against another nation. And they've got themselves into a horrifically bad situation. And God, through Elisha, miraculously intervenes and delivers them victory in the face of death and destruction. And we, you've got to see this, is that in an instant, Elisha, God is dealing with kings. And the very next sentence, he's dealing with a nameless widow. He moves from royalty to the oppressed, to the, the marginalized to the destitute, to the suffering. And there's this wonderful knowledge that we can take this morning that God doesn't just deal with the royalty, God deals with the nameless widow. And the reality that this shows us is that God cares not only about the widow, therefore he cares about you. God sees you this morning. God knows you and he knows your plight and he is aware and he cares. Elisha deals with kings. And he deals with nameless widows. Proverbs 15.3 The eyes of the Lord are everywhere. <laughs> keeping watch over the wicked and the good. The Lord God sees. Keeping watch. 1 Peter 5.7 Cast your anxieties on him. That's on Jesus. On God. Why? Because he cares for you. 
And this is the truth. This is the perspective of the reality of God we need to develop in, the, in these times. That there is a God who sees, that there is a God who cares, and there is a God who gets involved. He isn't distant, he isn't aloof, and then he's moved to get involved in your life. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, that's a God who, get, who comes. That's a God who, who becomes the flesh in Jesus. He sets aside all his divine rights that the perfect sinless God becomes our sin. He becomes our sin offering. He subjects himself to the sinful, harsh realities of this world and its destructiveness. He takes it upon himself so that we would never be subjected to the harsh, sinful realities of this world, that they could never crush us, and that we would ultimately be delivered and saved from this. That is a God who's involved. That is a God who's concerned. And that is a God who's filled with compassion. And that is a God who dies for you and for me. And that is the reality. And that is the perspective of the God whom we know and serve. And that is the God who's involved in the life of this widow. He who knew no sin becomes our sin offering. That we might then be declared righteous. We might have the righteousness of God that we might ultimately, in the midst of our circumstances, have hope and joy that we would be delivered. Jesus himself, John 16, 33, says these words, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble. That's the perspective of reality. But take heart, I have overcome the world. That's the perspective of God. A God who cares deeply, a God who comes, and a God who overcomes. That's the truth of the God. That is the true and proper perspective we need to have this morning. That this God in our present realities, as we experience it, that we can maintain our faith. This is the God this morning who says to you, How can I help you? See, God does care. God does act, and God is acting, and we need to just have our perspective reoriented again this morning with this truth of who God is. We develop the perspective of reality, we need to develop this perspective of who God is, and then how do we respond then? As this is developing and growing in us, what is our response? What is God requiring from us? What is God calling us to do in this moment? And that requires us to develop the, the perspective of response. What is the right response? What is, how do we see our response in relation to all these things? And in verses 3 through 5, what we see is, this interesting thing is that, that the real issue is not really the troubles that the widow is facing. The focus becomes on how does she respond. What's her response in the face of her problems? And, and, and that comes to us is how then should we respond? That's the issue. When we have this right perspective of reality, when we have this right perspective of who God is, how should we respond? And I think the answer that God is really pressing into for us this morning is what I would call faith-filled obedience. You see, in verses 3 and 4, there is this crazy command. Notice what he says in verses 3 through 4. He says, Elisha says to her, Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. 
And then he says, go to the house, shut the door. And then he says, pour oil into all the jars and as each is filled, put it to one side. See, the widow is asked to do something that requires faith. That is a crazy command. It, it doesn't make sense to her and it wouldn't make sense to us. And it's difficult. She's going to have to go to her neighbors. You see, she's only got one jar with a few drops of oil in. It requires faith. How is she going to fill all these jars? What's she going to say to her neighbors when they ask her, what's this for? The embarrassment or the shame or the explanation. This is a command that requires faith. And our response, part of our response this morning to God in this moment is one of faith. We need the Spirit of God to empower and enable us to respond with faith this morning. In verse 5, look at her response. It says, she left him. That's what it says. She left him. She, she went off in faith, believing, trusting. There was this implicit trust that she had in Elisha. She had seen the man of God before. She had seen how God works in him, how God had provided and who God was. And she trusted him. And in her faith, she therefore acts. And our response this morning requires renewed faith. Our faith may have been lost. Our faith may be eroding and and might be under pressure. And I want to call us and remind us again this morning that God, this is who He is. And He's calling us to respond to Him in renewed faith. And it's a faith that is rooted in the right perspective of God. When we begin to see God rightly, we can respond to Him in faith. And it's not just faith, it requires obedience. And as you continue looking in verse 5, it's fascinating as you get into the details, she does exactly what she was commanded. She does not deviate from anything. She goes and collects some jars and lots of jars. Exactly what she was told to do. She goes inside her house and closes the door. Exactly what she was told to do. She starts to fill the jars. Exactly what she was told to do. When they are full, she puts them to one side. Exactly what she was told to do. And she continues to pour until the jars are filled and there's no more. Exactly what she was told to do. Our response this morning is a faith-filled obedience. And when we begin to respond in a faith-filled obedience, we begin to see how God is at work in our lives. What is a faithful obedience? And I think there's two dimensions to it. The, uh, I think what God is calling us to do today as we find ourselves down the path of this year is the first element is that we need to lose our faith. Faithful obedience means that we need to lose our faith. You see, the widow is brought to a place where she realizes that she's in such dire circumstances that it's beyond her ability to meet her need. And God wants to use the circumstances of this year. God is using the circumstances of your current life to show you your need for Him. God is always working His purpose. And one of those purposes is to bring us to Him in faith and obedience. And we need to lose our faith in our own ability first. And that's what it means to respond in faith and obedience. Is that we need to get to the end of ourselves and realize that we cannot meet the demands we cannot make sense and we cannot deliver the things that we need to do and that moves us then when we lose our faith we then begin to find our faith faithful obedience is losing your faith but it's also finding your faith 
See, God here takes a seemingly insignificant jar with a few drops of oil and he uses that to meet the widow's need. It doesn't look like she's got much, but she had everything she needed and all she had to do was place her faith and trust in God. We need to find our faith in God and His ability. That's what faithful obedience is, is, is losing ourselves and our faith in ourselves and finding our faith and trust in God again. And that requires a leap of faith and a leap of obedience. And what we see is that God begins to work and fill the jars. And look at the provision. Look what God does. What we see is that God is faithful. You might doubt that, but God is faithful. He does what He promised. He filled every jar. The response of God to her faith and obedience is faithfulness to His promises. When we discover that not only is He faithful, that His provision is abundant. Verse 7, Go, sell the oil and pay your debts. And then He says, You and your sons can live on what is left. There's, there's an overflow. There's an abundance to God. That they, they have more than they need. And they, this is the God that it, who loves you and is, is working for you. In all your circumstances, it's a God who is faithful to His promises and it's a God who is abundant in His provision into all aspects of your life. So what then should our response be? To a God who is faithful, to a God who is abundant, our response should be a faithful obedience. And I think that is what is required from us this year. That is what is required from us in this moment, in our current circumstances, is rooting ourselves in these three big buckets of perspective. This, the correct perspective of reality. That, so we don't become derailed or overturned in our faith by surprise and shock. We need to have this correct perspective of God. That he, he does care, that He is concerned, and that He is supernaturally powerful, miraculously able to do anything that is required to meet the needs in our life, to do His sovereign purposes and will for us. And then we need to have the correct perspective of response, that God begins to work when we respond in faith and obedience. Those are the buckets that we need to lay down as foundations to see renewed hope and faith and joy into our lives. To finish here, I want to say, I'm not a, I'm not a prosperity preacher or a name it and claim it kind of guy, but I, I really do believe that very clearly today that God is calling us. He's calling us to respond to Him in faith and obedience. And when we do, you'll begin to see God at work in your life. There's a call. How do we respond to God? How can I help you? Respond in faith. Respond in obedience and see how, what metaphorically, whatever that means, He'll begin to fill the jars of oil in your life. You see, to end here, the contrast of the story is in the next chapter. There's a guy called Naaman who's a commander of all these armies and he's got leprosy. And, and he goes and he knocks on the door of Elisha's house to be healed. And Elisha says to him, well, if you want to be healed, you need to go down seven times into the Jordan River and wash yourself clean and you'll be healed. And Naaman is angry. Naaman is disappointed. He says his, his perspective and expectation was that the man of God would put his hands on him, pray for him, and he'd be healed immediately. And he goes away unhealed, angry and disappointed. And he moans to his servants. He says, why must I get in this dirty river Jordan? There are multiple other rivers that I could have gone and cleaned myself into. And he's unhealed. There's no faith. And there's no obedience. 
And it's contrasted with this widow in her response. But Naaman eventually comes around. His servant comes to him and says, why didn't you just do what Elisha told you? And eventually Naaman has the faith to trust God through the prophet Elisha for his healing. And he has the obedience and he gets into the dirty Jordan River seven times. And he's healed. See, I don't know what God will do in your circumstance. I have no idea the exact details of what happens and what God's plan is. But what I do know is this today. That there is a God who does care about you. That there is a God who does act and is acting. And he is able to do all that is necessary to meet your need. And in our present reality, with the right perspective... He is calling us to respond today in faith and obedience to Him. To who else are you going to turn? To what else are you going to turn to? Besides the one true God. This sovereign God of all creation. This mighty, holy, righteous God who is gracious, kind and compassionate and is good to all He has made. He is slow to anger and rich in love. This God who got off His throne and became flesh to subject Himself for our sin that we might be saved and set free. To whom else will you turn this morning? That we live in a broken world full of sin and that's our reality. But there is this perspective of a God who is loving and caring and concerned who lays down his life for you and for me to ultimately deal with the source of all the suffering, which is sin, my sin, and the world's sin. Who else can we turn to but the one true perfect God in faith and obedience? And may the Spirit of God strengthen us today with these perspectives of reality and of God and of our response, and your faith will be strengthened and you're encouraged and move forward with great hope and with joy in this sovereign, loving, caring God, King Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, Holy Spirit, we want your encouragement. We want your strength. We, we just pray this morning into the context of people's lives, whatever those may be. And we pray for your healing. We pray for your provision. We pray for your faithfulness. We, we pray for your renewal. We pray for your good purposes to be done. We pray that you would be filling people with hope and with joy. We, we pray that you would be renewing our perspective of who you are. The psalmist says that you are gracious and compassionate. You are slow to anger. You are rich in love. You are good to all you have made. You are the one who provides our food at the right hand. You are the one who lifts us up when we fall down and those who are bowed down, you exalt. Holy Spirit, just bring us again afresh this renewed vision and perspective and understanding of who you are. That we might have hope and faith. And then we, we, we pray, we ask that you would supernaturally enable us to respond to you with faith and obedience. To who else shall we turn? Holy Spirit, we ask for your grace to come flooding into our lives today. We're in deep need. And we know that we hear the words, how can I help you? And may you lift up our hand to reach out in faith and obedience. And that you would come flashing in and we would receive the fullness of who you are. The greatness, the abundant faithful provision of your promise in our lives help us we pray lift up our eyes afresh strengthen us encourage us and motivate us we ask amen